I know we have a bunch of announcements, but my mind is in another place. So just check out the bulletin, and there will be some announcements. There's one date that's wrong. Um, for We're doing an entrepreneur class. Uh, we're having some people come in. And so if you're here and you're like, I want to turn my hobby, we have a lot of people who are very gifted and very talented in this room. And if you're in a place you're like, I want to turn my hobby into something more than that, into a business, we thought it would be good to get a bunch of people together and just talk about how to do that. So that's going to be July 14th, not June 14th. Uh, and that's the only thing I can think of. God is good. And uh, we're going to start a new series today in Ephesians. It's called In Christ. And a lot of times, how many people here have read the book of Ephesians before? You've read a, a, at least part of it. You know, in the Ephesians is so encouraging because it tells us about who we are when we're in Christ Jesus. Which is one of the most amazing things we could ever hear. One of the, the most amazing things we can experience is having security in being in the household of God. And when we look through chapter 1, I'm only going to concentrate on a couple of verses uh, today. But when we look through chapter 1, we see this, this phrase, in Christ. In Christ, you're this. In Christ, the spiritual blessings are for you. In Christ, you were adopted. In Christ, in him, in him. And we see this over and over and over. Because as Paul was writing this to the church of Ephesus, he was like, I don't want you to be confused about who you are in Christ. The truth is, it seems as though the church has become confused about who we are in Christ. We've let outside things put labels on us. We've let uh, inside things put labels on us. And we've become a little distant from what the word says about who we are. The power comes from when we understand this. The moving forward in our lives comes from when we have a hold on this. And we're going to concentrate on the first two verses today. So if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read two verses. Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. If you're there, you can just nod your head at me. You're there. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many people, when you read the word and you get to a book like Ephesians or Colossians, you kind of skip through the intro pretty quick? Right? I, I'm guilty of that. I'll... I'll go to the intro, and I'll kind of like, oh, yeah, I've read this before. And then I'll just jump down to the meat of the passage, right? Guilty? Yeah, it's okay. We're in this together. So today I, just, I literally just want to concentrate on, on the intro. Because there is so much there that is going to shape the way we think and the way we see ourselves being in Christ. Well, let's just go through it real quick one more time. As Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he establishes his authority in Lord. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's doing this by God's will. God has told him to do this. To the saints who are in Ephesus. And what I want to concentrate and focus on as we start this series today is talking about who these saints in Ephesus really are. If you like to think of what was the main point of today, the main point is going to be rebuilding a foundation of faithfulness. The first in Christ that we see before we go down into chapter 1 about all these blessings and all these strengthening pieces that come from in Christ, the first in Christ phrase we see is this. The saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And are faithful. 
I want to ask you this morning, would you categorize yourself as someone who is faithful to Christ Jesus? Because here's the truth. If we don't start with the foundation of faithfulness in Christ, we are never fully going to be able to grasp our identity in Christ. They build on each other in that way. And I want to be very clear, this isn't receiving by our works. Our faithfulness is an expression and a demonstration of God's love in our life. And see, if you're going to look this up, in the Greek, it, it is a word, it's not a noun. Some of your translations may say uh, the faithful in Christ. It is not a noun. The word is actually an adjective. It's saying these people who are characterized by being faithful. There's a lot of bad teaching on this. Actually, if you're going to go uh, to a website, you would find something uh, relating this to a noun. Some th These people, they're called saints, and then it is implied that they are faithful. Faithful is just another word for the saints. That's not true. It's actually a description, and this really, really matters. See, we've come to a place uh, in, a, in a culture, in church culture. I'm just going to use that term. In church culture, where we've become so afraid of the word works and righteousness and faithfulness, that we've literally shied away and pushed this concept away altogether. We've become so afraid of anyone saying about us that we are works-based, which has been said about our church, just so everyone knows, that we won't talk about things like being faithful in response to the Lord's love. Listen, he loved us first, and we love him. Our expression of that is our faithfulness to him. And a lot of times this passage is taught like this, that when it says the faithful, it's talking about belief, that their belief is faithful, that what they believe about Jesus Christ is faithful. And I'm telling you, it's always, always, always what you believe and how you act on that belief. It is always when you believe in your heart and how you act by confessing with your mouth. Are you faithful? Someone can say that they are faithful to the covenant of marriage. It's easy for people to understand I am in a covenant, but that same person can also not demonstrate faithfulness to that covenant by their actions. Does that make sense? You can say all day, yes, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But if you don't act toward that belief, it is nothing. It's talking about the saints who are faithful in the Lord. I want to read a passage. Uh, this is how Jesus talks about our faith because uh, there's been a lot of bad teaching about faith, both from, uh, I would say, a reform side, both from a super charismatic side. There's been a lot of bad teaching. I want to read uh, what Jesus says uh, uh, about uh, Peter. In Luke 22, 31 through 34, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Think about that for a second. Simon, I'm speaking to your face, and you need to know that Satan demanded to have you. Why would Satan demand to have him? Because of the call that was on his life. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. We are in a season in our church right now where Satan is trying to sift people like wheat. I'm going to explain how that is happening as I continue on to preach through this message. It comes from bitterness. It comes in through discouragement. It comes in through faithlessness. But the truth is Satan is trying to sift people in this place like wheat. Jesus goes on to say, but I prayed for you. The word says that Jesus still, he prays for us, he intercedes for us. 
He says, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is saying face to face with Peter, I prayed for you that you may, that your faith may not fail. You may have come from a place where you're like, I thought our faith was just our faith, that there's nothing that could touch it, there's nothing that can harm it, that I don't have to do anything to fan it, or I don't have to steward it, I don't have to engage in it, I don't have to stretch myself in the area of faith. Jesus is saying, I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And this passage blows my mind for a couple of reasons, because one, Jesus prayed for Peter, and in a moment, Peter's faith failed when he denied Christ. Praise God, we know that that is not the end of the story. So maybe you are sitting here and you're thinking through right now how your faith has failed. How you've had an opportunity to demonstrate your love and faithfulness to Jesus through your actions, but you failed. I'm telling you, this is not the end of the story for you. Today you are at a place where Satan may be trying to sift you like wheat. You can take a stand and your faith can be built up. If your faith has failed, if your faithfulness in Christ has failed, I want you to hear me. His love is for you. He wants to restore you. And he still wants to help you and empower you to live out the call that he's placed on your life. That this is not it. Faithful in Christ. Talking about Ephesians, we're going to look at this concept in Ephesians, and it's this, that Ephesus was built on faithfulness. How did this church start? Who were these people that came in? Well, they were faithful people, and we are going to look at six areas where these people were faithful, and how that increased and built the church. We're talking about rebuilding faithfulness. Rebuilding a faithful foundation. Is your foundation rocky today? I'm telling you, if you want to experience the fullness of who you are in Christ, it starts right here. We're going to look at how the church of Ephesus began. We're going to look at the first thing, and here it is. The church of Ephesus started with people who were faithful through past mistreatment. People who were faithful through past mistreatment. How many people in here have ever been mistreated by anyone ever? Cool. Me too. How many people have ever been mistreated and responded poorly to that mistreatment? Yeah. Me too. How many people have been mistreated and responded biblically to that mistreatment? Me too. Faithful through past mistreatment. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you've been hurt by Christians. Maybe you've been hurt by people outside of the church. We're talking about what it means to be faithful through that. To not let that detach you or take you away from the call that the Lord has placed on your life. Let's go to Acts. We're going to start in chapter 18. We're going to jump through a few chapters in Acts. It's going to be amazing, I promise. Thanks, Dan. You can put that right there. That's perfect. Okay, we're going to start. Faithful through past mistreatment, we are going to see this in the life of Aquila and Priscilla. Remember these two? Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So we have Aquila and Priscilla, and they recently came from Italy. Why did they come from Italy? Well, it says because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Everyone say past mistreatment. Now I want you to say it like you're excited to be here. 
past mistreatment. Okay. It says, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So we have the first couple experienced past mistreatment, kicked out of Italy by this guy named Claudius. Claudius, you can read about him in history books. Uh, it is well documented about his life. I want to read you a little bit about Claudius to help set the stage of what these people were going through. Cool? All right. Don't zone out on me or we will all stand up. Okay. Just kidding. No, I'm not. Okay. Riding... It says, uh, with Claudius, this was uh, history, rioting broke out between the Jews and the Greeks of Alexandria. We're going to see Alexandria pop up in a little bit. Over the question of equal civil rights. Claudius quelled the riots and issued two edicts. Uh, the first one, he reaffirmed the rights of the Jews to keep their religion and their districts. We'll talk about that in a little bit. While directing both parties to maintain these peace. In another edict, he issued to the world at large, Claudius reaffirmed the same privileges to the rest of the Jews in the Roman Empire. This is something that has been, uh, like I said, documented throughout history, these two edicts that have come into place. Well, why did they get kicked out of Rome then? You have these Jews who were part of these districts in Alexandria, not only in Alexandria, but all over, uh, all over the Roman Empire. I have a map of the Roman Empire. If you want to bring that up real quick. When we think of Rome, sometimes we just think of Rome, Italy, right? Is that what you think of? That's what I think of. And so you can see it's very expansive. Uh, does everyone see Ephesus in Asia? Right over here, we see Rome. But all of what is outlined is the Roman Empire. So throughout all of Rome, throughout all of the Roman Empire, this guy Claudius comes in and he says, equal rights, equal rights, equal rights, peace, 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 equal rights, peace. Well, how do they then get kicked out of Rome by Claudius? Well, so the story goes. You can look up. Uh, there's a historian named Suetonius. He talks about this. And he says that because Christians, it's pretty amazing, because of Christians in the city of Rome, started being bold about their faith, that peace in Rome started to dissolve between the Jews and Christians. And Claudius, being afraid of the peace dissolving and wanting to maintain control, he thought of what is the biggest and the largest group of people that I can kick out in order to maintain peace. Well, it's the Jews. So Aquila and Priscilla, at one time, they had a leader who was saying, I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for your rights. I want you to succeed. You're just like everyone else. And then later in his reign, he says, no, I am kicking you all out to be displaced. It doesn't matter if you were a tent maker or a baker. It doesn't matter if you had a successful ministry, a successful trade. It's time to leave. Time to start over. Start over. Can I have my, my friend Peter Allen come up here? I love Peter. Come up here, Peter. Sometimes, <laughs> Arizona iced tea is the best drink in the entire world. In Proverbs 5, it says, water from your own cistern. My cistern consists of Arizona green tea. And hold on a second. many people just love this stuff? It's so good. So refreshing. See, it says there's only 18 carbs, but it's really times three. I learned their trick. Serving size, eight ounces. Yeah, right. Sometimes when we think about our call, it's something that's like very sweet to us. And it's something we, we, we want to share with people. And we start to be vulnerable and we start to put ourselves out there. 
And we start to, to give it to others, hoping that they'll receive the call that play, God has placed on our life. I didn't know if you knew this about my good friend Peter Allen, but he despises this more than anyone else I've ever met in my life. This will make you throw up, right? No, but close. <laughs> this is going somewhere, I promise. And so if I was going to offer this, something I loved and held dear to me, to Peter and say, you have to try this. And he's like, he's like, no. And if he wasn't such a godly man, he would probably take it out of my hand and throw it on the ground. <laughs> you can go sit down. That's all I had. I wasn't going to make you drink it. No, I wasn't. It's because you're amazing. Sometimes what happens when we're mistreated or our call is rejected, the thing that was once so sweet, we, we then tend to protect it. Because we don't want to open up ourselves to mistreatment again. We don't want to open up ourselves to being vulnerable again. So then when we come into a new setting with new people, we almost become stingy or reluctant to share the thing that is most precious to us. What happens when people ask of us to, to move in the way the body was intended to move, we might be like, okay, well, here's just a little bit for you. And then we take it and we hold it back. Or we pretend it's not even there and we just hide it somewhere out of sight so people can't see it. It's because we're afraid of being mistreated with something that's so close and personal to us. How many people have ever felt that way before? A past mistreatment has happened, so you've taken what the Lord has given you, and you've put it on the back burner for a while. Well, I'm telling you, this is something that Aquila and Priscilla did not do. That they get right back to work. How do I know this? Let's look at verse 19. It says, and they came to Ephesus. Remember, they, Priscilla, Aquila, they were displaced before. They came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. That's Paul. When they asked to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And let's jump down to verse 24. Now in Ephesus, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. We're going to come back to that came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he only knew the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. See, our response to mistreatment is strengthening others. That's what we do. When we've been mistreated, Priscilla and Aquila, when Paul left them, they could have thought, well, I'm not with Paul anymore. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. I've already been displaced once. I don't want to be set up for another potential heartbreak. I don't want to be abandoned again. I don't want to have to be uh, removed from my friends again. They could have done all those things. But instead, they got to work, and it was strengthening other people with the call that God placed on their lives. If you have been mistreated in the past and it has caused you to retreat in what God has called you to do, I'm telling you, the body will move better. The body of Christ will move in more power when you're an active part of it. Don't retreat because of mistreatment that you've experienced this is how Ephesus was founded. This is how the church started. That there were a couple of people who said, I'm going to do my call, no matter if it's rejected, no matter if it's received, but because the Lord placed it on my life. If you've been mistreated in the past, today is the day you can start by strengthening others with what the Lord has given you. Just start today. Have people over to your house today. As you're going to lunch, minister to strangers today. As you're walking down the street, 
activate what the Lord has given you today. You're faithful through past mistreatment. We're talking about building the foundation of faithfulness. This is how the church of Ephesus started. When he calls them, they are faithful. This is a part of that. Here's the second thing. Not only faithful through mistreatment, but faithful through syncretism. This is a word you can tell your friends and try to impress them. What syncretism means, and there's really no succinct way to say this without this word, syncretism. It means the blending of religions and cultures. That's what syncretism is. It's a little bit of this mixed with a little bit of this mixed with a little bit of that. We see a lot of, time, we see a lot of times this will uh, come into something such as Christian counseling where, where the belief is the word can only get you so far, but if you practice all of these things that doctors and scientists have discovered, then it'll work together, and that's really the fullness of counseling. That's syncretism. That's the Bible and. Everything comes from Scripture. We're going to see that. All of our counsel comes from the word of God. If anything from outside comes in, it just backs up the word of God, something that's already given. Syncretism. We see this in many religions. We see this played out in Christianity, in culture. Of Yeah, you can have Jesus, but you can also have your own way too. Everything is customizable. You don't like that side? Well, you can take this side. Well, take Jesus and take a little self-enlightenment. Take some humanitarianism. Take some humanism. Take whatever you want. Just mix it with Jesus, and as long as Jesus is in there somewhere, then you're okay. That is syncretism. That is wrong. That is not what the word of God teaches. We are in a culture that is trying to water down and syncretize the true and full gospel of Jesus Christ. How is this happening? I've been in settings where I've heard believers talk about, well, you can share the gospel, but you can't talk about sin. It might make people feel uncomfortable. You can talk about the book of Acts, but just don't, maybe, maybe just go a little easy on the whole Holy Spirit stuff and the healing stuff because that's, you know, sometimes that rubs people the wrong syncretism. That's not what the scripture teaches. We live our lives according to the word and according to the word alone, and we will not bend on that. We will not let that break us. We invite any persecution that comes because of that. It's syncretism. We live in a culture that is trying to force this in the same way we saw Claudius saying, well, let's just, if everyone can fake peace, if we can all just be peace fakers and no one will actually have any dividing lines, then we will all just be okay and we can get along. Boo. I want to talk about how Apollos was faithful through syncretism. It says, when you, when you look down at verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, he was born and raised in the city called Alexandria. There's something you need to know about Alexandria. If you want to pull up the map one more time, can you see it? in the north part of Egypt. Alexandria was a city where Jewish culture and Greek culture was, was, was beginning to mend together. That religion of the God of the Tanakh was honored, but also all the mythology of Greek gods was honored. That people did both. Whatever they felt like, whatever they needed, it was becoming this nebulous, blurry religion in Alexandria. Interesting enough, Alexandria is also the place where the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was written. So you have this blending of religions and this culture coming together where people are just taking what they want from both sides and they're starting to live in this way. This city was full of Jewish districts. And when I say full, I actually mean two of five of the districts in Alexandria were 100% Jewish. So there was a lot of pull in this city. 
This is where Apollos came from. And it's interesting if you just think, reading the text, how is a guy whose name is Apollos Jewish? That doesn't sound like a very Jewish name. Yeah, because he was the poster child of what syncretism was supposed to be. He was given the name of a Greek god, Apollo. Let me read this. Apollo, he's referred to as the god of the sun, the light, the music and prophecy. He's the son of Zeus and the titan Leto and was born in, the Greek, uh, in a Greek island along with his sister Artemis. We're going to come back to Artemis because uh, she's going to play a role in this in a little bit too. So we have this guy who was born in the city, the syncretist city. He was named after a Greek god, although he was Jewish, but he prevailed. If there was anyone who should have been open to the blending of religions and cultures based on their upbringing, it should have been Apollos. But it wasn't. You see, look down at verse 24. He was a competent man. He was competent in the scriptures. The KJV says he was mighty in the scriptures. He was mighty in the scriptures. How would you like that if, if you were to be recorded in the word of God to be said of you? Yeah. This person, mighty in the scriptures. Devin Reed, mighty in the scriptures. Javi Rojo, mighty in the scriptures. This is who he is. He was mighty in the scriptures, but what about this whole blending of cultures? What well, says in verse 28, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. He was doing it in public. He wasn't worried about the consequences because our response to syncretism is to be mighty in the scriptures. How are we going to battle together as a family in our call? It's going to be knowing the word of God and not being afraid to take the word into the public. That's how we are going to battle the culture that we are in right now. This is who Apollos was. This is how the church of Ephesus was built. Faithful men and women. We have a couple who was faithful through past mistreatment. We have another man who was faithful through syncretism. He was mighty in the scriptures to establish the church that God had intended. This is the same thing for us. Maybe you've come out of a camp that has been very syncretistic. And there's been blends. I'm telling you, the way to renew and transform your mind is by meditating on the word of God. That's how we're going to do it. And we're going to do it together. You're faithful through syncretism. You're being mighty in the scriptures. Here's the next thing. We see Paul faithful through religious conflict. This isn't conflict from the outside. This is conflict from the inside. This would be conflict from those in our day who would call themselves Christ followers. Let's go to Acts 19. In verse 1 through 7, we see, uh, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, there's a, a handful of disciples who are not yet baptized with the Holy Spirit. The first thing that Paul does, uh, he tells them about the Spirit and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. He empowers them. It's interesting because this is one of the most con uh, confrontational doctrines that, that we experience in the church. That when we talk about the Bible, everyone can cheer. When we talk about the things that are said in the Bible, people want to fight. It's no wonder that the first thing Paul does is he tells people about the Spirit of God. And people get baptized and clothed with power from on high. In verse 8, it says, He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. 
You speak boldly when you talk about the Lord. Reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So we see that he was teaching in the synagogue. Every time he'd go into a city, you would see signs, you'd see wonders, you would see empowerings and fillings with the Holy Spirit, and you would see teaching. He goes in the synagogue and he starts to teach, and some of the other teachers, some of the religious teachers were coming up and saying, no, what he is saying about the way is not true. What we see throughout the word, and Pastor Eric Stevens, if you follow Life Changing Ministries at all, has an amazing message about this. But over time, and we see in Acts 24, that the way became synonymous with uh, the word the sect, the Nazarene sect, which was another name for a cult. And they were being accused of being a cult. How many people in here have been accused of being in a cult? It's always by believers, in my experience. You know, I was thinking through this, and do you know that we as a church, we've been accused of being a cult because we open our homes and we take discipleship serious. We've been accused of teaching salvation through works because of our personal commitment to holiness and our stance against false doctrine. We've been accused of being heretics because we believe that the Old Testament is still God's words for today. We've been accused, I've been personally accused of being an apostate because we teach baptism in the Holy Spirit and that the gifts are for today. We've been accused of being unloving because we follow instructions that Scripture sets about how to deal with sin. You know, I've been told, and you may hear things such as, if you do this, you will never be in ministry again. That you're throwing everything away. That you are betraying your tribe. I'm telling you from my own experience, it is all worth it for the name of Jesus Christ. It is all worth it. And not only is it worth it, but you are in great company. Jesus, accused of being a cult leader. Paul, accused of being a cult leader. People start saying disparaging things about the way. So what does Paul do? Does he just cancel the mission that God has sent him on? No. Because our response to religious conflict is changing our position, not our mission. And I want to explain what I mean by that. Look at verse Nine, one more time. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. So he's teaching in the synagogue, teaching in the synagogue. Opposition comes. He's like, fine, I, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm going to go somewhere else. What was the outcome of that? All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. See, we change our position. We don't change our mission. And I'm not saying position about what is in the word or about even our mission in general. I mean it like this. Has anyone, Brian, come up here. Brian makes it into all my sermons. It's going to be a long series, bro. Get ready. So, so just Relax. I'm going to tackle you off the stage. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Brian is strong. I've, I've worked out with him before. Believe me. If I was going to tell him I'm going to tackle him off the stage, what would you do? You How would you get ready? <laughs> you would smile. You would smile, yeah. You would smile. Yeah, he'd kind of, yeah, he'd get ready like that. 
get a low bass. He's getting his little wrestler thing going on. He would change his position based on how I was acting toward it. He wasn't changing his, his mission. He's still here. But he's changing the way in which he goes about receiving what's coming at him. Does that make sense? Good job. I'm not going to talk to you off the stage. See, what happens is when we face opposition, especially when it comes to the call that is on our lives, we face hardship, we face oppression, we take that as a sign, well, I must just cancel the mission altogether. The answer is not that. Stay the course. Change the way you attack. Rethink your position, how you're going at it, and then be faithful with the mission that God has given you. Because we see the outcome of what happens with Paul. He was refacing this religious conflict. He didn't cancel his mission. He changed the way in which he was going about it. And the result was all of the Jews and Greeks heard about Jesus Christ. Maybe you feel like you're being stopped. Maybe you feel like you're stuck. Maybe you feel like you don't know the way forward. Ask God to show you what position, God, do you want me to be in? How can I carry out this mission that you've given me in a way that will produce fruitfulness for your kingdom? Give me wisdom. Give me insight. Don't abandon the mission. Ask God to give you wisdom about the position you're in. Does that make sense? We're going to go through these next things pretty quick. A response to religious conflict is changing our position, not our mission. We know what I mean by position. We don't compromise on the word of God. We don't compromise on what God has given us. But perhaps we change the way we go about it. Here's the next thing. Faithful through fruitfulness. Faithful through fruitfulness. Does anyone in here, just be honest, does anyone have any famous friends, like maybe in the news? We're going to need all their names and phone numbers. Yeah. You know, sometimes when people experience an abundance, I, I don't know any of these famous people, but maybe sometimes when you experience an abundance of fruitfulness, it causes people to change. You know, like, oh, I knew this kid in high school, and then he was in this band, and their band got really big, and then I texted him, and he's, like, totally different. I knew this person, and, and they were experiencing all this fruitfulness in ministry, and then things seemed to change somewhere. I want to talk for a second about the idea of graduating in the kingdom. See, in Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus' humility coming to earth as a servant. But sometimes, even in the kingdom of God, we get this idea of, I've graduated past that. Can't you see the way I pray for people? Surely I shouldn't be on the cleaning crew. I should be on the stage praying for people. Every time I pray, something happens. I'm not saying that anyone has said that to me, but that's the mentality. But I, uh, uh, child care, no, 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 I think I'm getting sick. I can't go to church. Um, I, I need uh, someone sub in for me. I just can't. I just, hey, man, would you give a word before? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I feel great. Yeah, I'll do that. We don't graduate in the kingdom like we would graduate from high school. We continue on in the path that Jesus Christ has set the example for. We're talking about how the Ephesians church was built. Paul was faithful through extraordinary fruitfulness. Watch this. You know, I love in Zechariah 4.10 it says, about not despising small beginnings. In verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracle by the hands of Paul. 
it's pretty cool because usually it's very collective and it's, you know, the disciples were going out and these things were happening. And here it's like, no, Paul, it's Paul. Extraordinary things were happening through him. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. I don't have time to show you everywhere, but I want you to go back and look at this. Paul's desire, which we're going to see in a little bit, uh, is to go back to Jerusalem, is to go to Rome. And at this point in his ministry in Ephesus, he could have said, look at everything that's happening. Surely what I have, I can give to Rome, I can give to Jerusalem, and they're going to be blown away. He could have taken that route. Surely what I have isn't being used to its full potential here. I'm not maximizing my effectiveness as a minister of the gospel. So I need a bigger setting. This is a lie that most people, especially in ministry, believe. But Paul stayed put because the Lord was still doing some things through him. That even though he was seeing the fruitfulness of his life and of his ministry and people were filled with the spirit right when he got there and he's teaching and everyone's hearing the gospel. Paul, isn't it time to move on? I mean, people have heard about Jesus. No, it's not time to move on because the spirit hadn't led him on yet. See, we move when the spirit moves us. We partner with God in a way that when he says, wait, we say, of course, Lord. When he says, go, we say, of course, Lord. Because what happens through, well, let's just look at a couple of these things in Acts 19. This is one of my favorite stories. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that's just a funny thing to me. These guys weren't even full-time. They're like part-time Jewish exorcist. You know, it's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I can work at Starbucks part-time. So, yeah, I try to cast out demons part-time. It's Part-time anything in the Bible usually leads to disaster. If the pattern of your life is being a part-time follower of Jesus, I want you to pay attention to these next few verses. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. How stupid are these guys, right? Saying, I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Like, okay, I've seen this work before. I know Paul says Jesus. And so I'm going to try it. I'm just going to, I'm going to try to look the part. Seven sons of Jewish high priests named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and empowered them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and indulging their practices. And a, sim and a number of those who had been practicing magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, millions of dollars. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. We see a couple things in Paul's ministry. First, we see the power. We see the power. That the Lord is moving powerfully through him. The next thing, and I want to concentrate on this, is that in Paul's ministry, there is a division that is set into place. These are the things Paul are doing that are from the Lord, that are producing these results. Here's the division, and here are the things that everyone else is doing that are producing these results. I'm telling you, we have walked into a time where there is a division between people who are living their life according to the word, moving in the power of the spirit, and those who are not. There is a division that has been formed. Which side do you fall on? 
we see this. We see that people then begin confessing. There's glory brought to the name of Jesus. Repentance takes place. There's both confession and in action that we talked about earlier. People bringing their books, burning their books, and the name of Jesus continues to move forth. God wasn't done. If you feel like there's a season that is being shift, that's shifting and you're like, God, do I stay? Do I go? Listen to the voice of the Lord. He will direct you. And sometimes when we think all that we have and all that we had to offer was through, there's a little more. Listen to the voice of the Lord. We see in verse 21. Now after these events, when all these things happened, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. We see at that point all these things happen. As he's partnering with God in the spirit, he's released to move on from Ephesus. But he is faithful through the fruitfulness that he experienced there. I'm telling you, be faithful in the fruitfulness that God provides. Partner with him. And God, what is the next step? God, what is my mission as I finish up here? Be all in right where God has you. Do not be afraid that you are going to miss it. If you are walking with it, with him, he will make it clear to you. That's what the word shows us. He will make it clear. Faithful through fruitfulness. Here's the next thing. Faithful through public uproar. We look at all these riots. Look at verse 23. It says, about that time there rose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis. Oh, remember that word? Yeah, we came back to it. Artemis, false god, brother or sister, twin sister of Apollo. No little business to the craftsmen. They're like, they served this god, this false god, and they made a lot of money. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. It's the first union. And they said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. It's like he's speaking about what our gods are. He's speaking about this guy, Paul. You know what he's doing? He's saying that the things we hold as God in our heart aren't really God. Can you believe he's doing this? It's costing us our money. It's costing us our livelihood. Could you let this guy, Paul, do this to us? There was an uproar because there was a distinction being made of what was of God and what was not of God. Verse 27 and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Let me tell you just a little bit about Artemis so we can understand as we're going to go through the book of Ephesians, this is the cultural context of what is happening. Artemis is the supposed daughter of Zeus and Leto and a twin brother, Apollo. She was the goddess of chastity, hunting, wild animals, forced childbirth, and fertility. She was perhaps the most worshipped deity in the world during the time of Paul. What Mecca is to Islam, Ephesus was to Artemis. Ephesus was the standard it was the center of Artemis worship. Worship was led by hundreds of eunuch priests, virgin priestesses, and religious prostitutes. I don't have to color in what these services must have looked like. She was known as the Queen of Heaven. She was called in Ephesus the Savior, the Mother Goddess. There was a statue in the temple which they, they think may have been a black meteorite because it was said that she was, fell from the sky. 
The cult brought great wealth to Ephesus as the Temple of Artemis became the world's largest bank at the time. Those who worshipped her were promised fertility, long life, promiscuous sexual fulfillment, protection during pregnancy and childbirth. It's interesting because most cults, even today, are characterized by sexual deviance and financial deception. That's exactly what was happening in Ephesus right here. So the public, there was an uproar that happened. And we see three things in the way that people respond. They respond, it says in verse 28, they were enraged. They were crying out and they were in confusion. They were enraged by this. Someone saying that the God that they held as God was not God. They were confused. They were crying out. It says in the story, they all assembled to a theater. So they get everybody into this giant theater. I have a picture of the theater. This is the theater in Ephesus. Everyone was packing into this place and absolutely enraged by what Paul was doing and speaking out against the culture. Paul decides he wants to go in. Well, all these people are losing their minds. He says, I want to go in. Look at verse 30 of chapter 19. But when Paul wished to go in the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Was it because they were on higher authority? No. Was it because uh, they tied him up and would not let him? No. Why? Why did he not go in? Why would they let him? Because he yielded to unity in that moment. As we continue to move forward in the way God has called us to as a church, as believers, don't be confused. Don't cry out. Don't be enraged. Because that's what culture does. We just saw. By the backlash that comes. When the public is in uproar about our stances on things such as gay marriage, don't be enraged. Don't be crying out. Yield to the unity of the body and how we're going to get through this because the way we're going to do it is together. We're going to get through this together. When the public starts to cry out against us because of our stance on things like abortion, don't be confused. Don't be enraged. This is exactly what was experienced in the word. The way we are going to face these things is we're going to come together as disciples of the Lord, that we are going to fast over these things. We are going to pray over these things. We are going to be unified in the way we position ourselves to fight in these things. Just in the way Paul did. You see that all of these marks of faithfulness from individuals were what was leading to the faithfulness of this entire church. It is the faithfulness of individuals in this body that makes up the faithfulness of this church. It's not just myself and Elder Mark and, and Pastor Slaughter and Elder Ben and Jody. It's, it's all of us here together. It's all of our faithfulness here together. We have to move forward in unity in these things. We have to yield to one another by the power of the Spirit in unity, saying, God, show us the way to navigate through these things. We will be faithful. Here's the last thing. So our response to public uproar is yielding to unity. Here's the last thing. Being faithful through transition. So we see an example of Paul. Now we're going to see an example of the Ephesian elders. In chapter 20, In verse 28, Paul gives a charge to the elders that are there. He's getting ready to leave. There's a transitioning that's happening. He's saying now it's 
I, I'm, I'm backing away from this. So it's, it's you guys. You're, you're doing this together. And see, I'm not just talking about leadership transition. I'm talking about the transitions we go through in life. You know when you get to a stage in life or a stage with something or someone where you're like the newness has kind of worn off a little bit? That's transition. When you get to a stage of stepping forward in, a, in an authority that the Lord has placed on you, that's transition. When you're leaving behind and confess sin and you're now moving forward in victory, that's transition. Starting a family, that's transition. You go through many transitions. Maybe you're going through a transition right now. Let's see how we're faithful through transition. Verse 28, he says to the elders, Be careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's saying you need to be on watch. Pay attention to yourself first and foremost. Don't think it's just everyone else. Pay attention to yourself and then pay attention to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, which you have leadership in. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my de departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Our response to transition, the transition we face in our lives is through keeping watch. Keeping watch over our own souls that we won't be the ones to twist things. Taking inventory of God, is my heart right before you? Is there any bitterness in me? Is there anything, any envy in me? Is there anything in me, God, that is not pleasing to you? Because if you let that grow, and you let that grow, and you let that become more and more twisted, that is what is going to guide you to make decisions. Cut it off. Keep watch right now. And not only that, as brothers and sisters in the body, we keep watch. Because what Paul says is that there are fierce wolves that are going to try to come in. It's not, hey guys, keep watch because maybe there will potentially be someone that's more of a coyote than a wolf. No, he says this. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. He says, I know this for a fact because this is the pattern of the kingdom. That when God starts to sow something that is incredible, a fierce wolf wants to de devour it. I want you all to know right now in this season, spoken to the leadership by the Lord, uh, we are watching out for wolves that are among us. This isn't a witch hunt. I want to be very clear about that. But we are keeping watch. There's a transitioning, a transition that is happening here where the Lord is moving us into a, a new level of dependence on him a new position in the kingdom, and we are keeping watch. It's not something that we can just do alone. Our hope is that when we encounter a wolf, that repentance will take place. That they will be clothed in the love of God and that they will be restored. And just like we saw in Acts chapter 19, that confession would come about and that action would come about and books would be burned but we are keeping watch and we're doing it together because what the Lord is building in his kingdom all throughout Crystal Lake, not just at the Horizon Church, is so special and anointed for this time. If you're going through transition, I want to encourage you right now to keep watch, to take inventory of your soul. Is there something in there that the Lord's like, that's not from me. That is going to lead you into a very dark place. And keeping watch over your brothers and sisters. Why don't you stand with me?
I want to read Ephesians 1, 1 and 2 over us one more time, and then I'm going to say a couple things. Uh, this book, going through this book together is going to be absolutely incredible. It's built on the foundation of faithful individuals. That's what we're still doing here today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What we want to do in this place right now, there are some people for the first time would be considered a saint by God. Today, people chose to follow Jesus today. What we see in Scripture and something that uh, my heart and Pastor Nick have uh, been in unity about is uh, we desire for when people proclaim to be followers of Jesus, that baptism follows immediately when possible. And so right now we have a baptismal open in the back. We see in Matthew chapter 3 that when Jesus was baptized in water, that it wasn't just a symbol of what was going on inside. But after he was baptized, something happened in the spiritual realm and the spirit of God descended on him like a dove. We see that when someone is baptized in Romans 6, uh, verse 4, that they are being baptized into the death of Christ and they are being raised into the newness of life. That's how we know that when the word says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, talking about the household of God, right? We're talking about today being in the household, the giant house. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So I want to ask you, we're not going to make a big emotional response, but is there anyone here who's put their faith in Jesus and wants to be baptized today? Amen. Rodney wants to be baptized. Amen. Anybody else? You're like, but I wasn't prepared for it and I don't have a change of clothes. Don't worry about that. This is what believers have do. We're setting the foundation, just like in Ephesus, the faithful foundation that when God speaks, we move. Is there anyone else who wants to be baptized today? All right, well, this is what we're going to do. Nick, why don't you uh, go by the baptismal? I'm going to pray. Rodney, you can go over there, and then we're going to come around you. So, God, we just thank you for Rodney. Lord, we thank you that he has said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, that he has believed in his heart. And he was confessing up here with his mouth. Lord, we pray that you would just continue, Lord, to draw him into your freedom, God. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness that we see, Lord, throughout all of Scripture. God, through how Ephesus was established as a church. God, we want to move in the same faithfulness. Not because it earns us, God, but because it draws us closer into your presence. And we just want to know you. And we want to know the fullness and the abundance of what it means to be in Christ. Jesus, we love you and we worship your name and your name alone in this place. Everybody said, amen. All right, we're going to go baptize Rodney right now. You guys can hang out over there.